Happy New Year and welcome to Southwinds this morning. So glad you're here. I want you to know that I am very excited about the year that is ahead of us and about all that God has in store for us here at Southwinds. Uh, just to kind of keep you aware of some things as we begin today, I want you to know that just a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a record Christmas Eve attendance of 1,600 people at our four services. And uh, I want to encourage all of you who are part of the Southwinds family to be praying for the new people that we encountered over the Christmas season. Some of those people, maybe you, you may be here right now and just pray that God will open doors for us to serve and minister to and help in any way that God wants us to, uh, the people that he's bringing our way. Um, and we're just excited about that. Also want uh, to encourage you to keep praying for our next gen spiritual initiative. I don't know if you've thought about this yet or not, but we're in 2017 and that means, Lord willing, we're going to be breaking ground this year on our new building in July. That's the plan. And so there are just a lot of exciting uh, stuff that's ahead of us as a church family uh, this year. And uh, we should just be praying about it. Well, uh, that said, I want you to just dive in with me to our topic this morning. And I want to get into it by asking this question. Uh, how many of you have made at least one New Year's resolution? Would you raise your hands if that's you? Quite a number of you. Um, uh, whether you have or not, you probably are aware that every year the most common New Year's resolution is lose weight. lose weight. Exactly. Exactly. And some of you said that with some real fervor that tells me it's personal. Um, well, I, I went to the fount of all wisdom, the Google, and um, saw what some research had to say about New Year's resolutions that are popular this year and came up with a number of things. Uh, maybe some of these are yours. Uh, people are resolving to get organized. Uh, people want to stick to a budget finally this year. They want to save more money finally this year. Uh, a lot of people, one of the most common resolutions is traveling. People want to travel. And then also people said, a lot of people said, we want to read more this year. These are some of the popular resolutions that people have made. And these are all good resolutions. But this morning, I would like to suggest another one a resolution that will change your life more than any other resolution you could make. What if your resolution was this? In 2017, I want to learn how to talk to God. What if this was the year you really began to learn to pray? Now, I think I can say confidently about every single person in this room, you have lots of reasons you need to pray. Is that true? I know I can say about our church family corporately and that, that we have lots of reasons that, that we all need to pray. And yet, and yet, almost no one, at least in all the people that I've talked to in over 30 years as a pastor, almost no one feels satisfied with their prayer life. See, I'm also confident that every single one of you, even if you are committed to prayer, even if you have been praying for a long time, even if you studied a lot about prayer, you are sitting here right now wishing that you prayed more effectively, wishing that you understood prayer better, wishing that you could see more of your prayers answered. And that's why we are kicking off 2017 with a series on prayer, because we all need to learn to pray. I need to learn to pray. So today, we're going to start this uh, by beginning with the most famous prayer ever, the Lord's Prayer. 
Now, a lot of us grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer. Some of us uh, grew up in churches where every week the, the pastor would say something like this, and so we pray as you taught us to pray, and then we'd all say the Lord's Prayer together. How many of you grew up in a tradition kind of like that, something like that? See, a lot of us here. Now, we're actually gonna do that later today together, but first, I want us to take our time, our our moments together to focus in and look at Jesus' teaching on prayer that we find in his famous Sermon on the Mount, which we uh, includes the Lord's Prayer. Now, these verses are so very familiar to us that we really do need to stop and slow our minds down and really think about what's happening here, because it's so easy to kind of surf over the edges and the tops and just the the surface of what this is about. I want you to see how enormous this is. Just think about it. We believe, as Christ followers, that Jesus is God in the flesh. We just finished celebrating the season of Christmas, and here at Southwinds, we like Christmas so much, we just kept all the stuff up for one more week. But at Christmas, we celebrate the truth that God came down to earth, that Jesus is God's son. And that means this. That means that this passage is showing us, are you ready? It is showing us what God says about how to talk to God. Isn't that huge? Now, I'm, I'm calling today's message don'ts and do's. And I know that bothers some of you. I see the twitching. Because you're thinking out there, some of you, somebody made a mistake because it should say do's and don'ts. That's the right way to put it. Well, if that's what you think, you just need to, I'm going to tell you, take it up with Jesus because this is how Jesus gives it to us in this passage. He starts with the don'ts. And so in verses five through eight, he tells us what we should not do in prayer. He tells us that there are two things in particular that we often do in prayer that we think are really important, but in actual fact, they're not important at all. In fact, these two things can damage our ability to pray. And almost every one of us at one time or another, we get mixed up here. Two ways we get confused in prayer. Number one, we think prayer is about performance. We, we end up seeing prayer in some way or another involving performance in front of people. Now, if you're saying, I don't do this. I just want to tell you, if you've ever found yourself worrying about what words you use and thinking, I don't really know how to pray, and I feel a little embarrassed to pray, and I'm not sure I can pray in front of other people, you're getting mixed up here. You're thinking it's about performance. How about this? You ever found yourself in this place? Like you're, you're in that prayer circle thing that's happening, and you're there, and everybody's holding hands, and that's kind of awkward, you know, and, but you don't want to be unfriendly, and and people are praying, nobody said it, but you can tell this is kind of working out, this is going around the circle, and it's getting closer to you. And so you start doing the dreaded prayer countdown. You know, as it comes closer and closer to your moment, you start you know, panicking, you're feeling really tense, and you're thinking, I know, I know I'm gonna choke when it gets my turn. What am I gonna say? What am I gonna say? And the suspense is building, and you find, if you're honest, you stop listening to what everybody's praying. You're not thinking about it at all. And you start planning out your prayer, right? You, you think, I don't know, um, uh, I'll, say, I'll say, Lord, Lord, thank you for my children, and please bless them. And then the person next to you starts to pray, and they go, Lord, thank you for my children. And you think, that was my prayer. 
What am I going to do now? Now, are you really praying when that's happening? No. You're doing some kind of religious improv, you know? And what Jesus is talking about as he begins this passage is that the religious leaders of his day had kind of perfected performance prayer, turned it into an art. This is what Jesus says in verses five and six as this passage opens, his teaching on prayer opens. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, you know, we, we hear this word hypocrite. We think it's a religious word, but in Jesus' day, fundamentally, it wasn't. It actually was a Greek word that was primarily used to describe an actor. Um, 2,000 years ago, acting was huge. Drama was huge, kind of like today. Uh, professional actors were everywhere. The Romans had built these huge theaters in all kinds of cities, hundreds of beautiful structures. Some of them are still uh, around today. And because they were so big and people were so far the actors would wear these masks and they were kind of cartoonish with really exaggerated features so people could get a sense from the distance of what they were trying to convey. And, and when they were doing these plays in the, the morning before the play was going to happen, the actors would go out on street corners um, and they would, they would do the beginning of the play sort of like a movie trailer, Right? And they would kind of get you into it a little bit, and then they just stop, and they would say, now, if you want to know what happens next, if you want to hear the rest of the story, come to the theater tonight, kind of like movie previews today. Jesus was talking in this context about people who love to pray in order to be seen, in order to be applauded like actors. And he is saying that Their spirituality is not real. It's an act. They're wearing masks and they're covering up what's really going on in their hearts. Jesus says, I don't want your prayers to be about that. In verse six, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And some of you think, go into my room. Well, does that mean I can't pray out, you know, in the world? No, Jesus is not saying that. You can pray anywhere, anytime. You can pray tomorrow morning on the freeway. God, please let there be no traffic on the Altamont this morning. And that would be a miracle, right? You can pray on the way to school. You can pray at home, moms, when your kids are driving you crazy. In fact, I wonder how many of you have already prayed the mom prayer this morning. God, please do not let me kill them today. I see that hand. You can pray about your worries at work when you're at work. You can pray um, about the stresses you face when you're trying to pay your bills. You can pray about anything, anytime, anywhere. So he's not saying you can't pray in the busyness of life. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I want to teach you what is at the heart of prayer. And the heart of prayer is what happens when you're alone with the Father. Pray all you can out there, but you need some times when you go into your room and close the door and just focus on God. Now, some of you need to write this down. It's not going to be on the screen, but you need to write it down, and it's this. Prayer and multitasking do not go together. It's kind of like 
marriage. How many of you discovered that as a couple in marriage, if your only conversation are what time's dinner and who's going to pick the kids up at soccer practice and have you paid the bills yet, if that's all you ever talk about, how many of you ever discovered you look you know, across the room just a few feet away, you've been with your spouse, you're, you're around them all the time every day, and yet you feel distant? That can happen. Now, Jesus is saying... We need a time of connection with God. If all we ever have is the busy to-do list conversations, then our relationship will grow cold. You need that, that time to be alone. Don't multitask. You need to focus on God. And then he says, still in verse six, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And some of you just popped up. Reward you? Some of you are saying reward? That's what I'm talking about. Uh, are you saying, Mike, that that's why I don't get what I pray for because I haven't been going into my room and closing my door? I can do that, Mike. Um, that's not what he's talking about. This is not a formula where you'll get whatever you ask for if you just go into a room and shut a door. He's pointing us to the rich reward that comes when we pray the way he teaches us to pray, as this passage is going to say. And you say, well, what is that reward? Well, I'm going to tell you, but you've got to wait to the end of the message. I'll explain it to you then. So prayer is not about performance. The second way we get confused about prayer is we think prayer is about technique. Now, this confusion is very common in American culture because as Americans, we tend to think that every problem can be solved if we only know the right technique. And if you don't believe me, go to Safeway, go to Walgreens, go to any store where they have a magazine rack and look at the covers of almost every single magazine. You will see a number and then you will see some technique on how you can solve problems in your life, right? You know, here's five techniques for solving your marriage crisis. Here's seven techniques for improving your sex life. Here's eight techniques for making your hair shiny. Um, and if you don't do those techniques, you're just missing out. And if you even go on Amazon and, and put prayer in and look at the books, you're going to find a lot of books on prayer techniques, the key to success in prayer, secrets of prayer, because we solve everything with technique in our culture. But Jesus is saying this will damage your prayer life. Look at verse seven. It says, and when you pray, do not keep on what? Babbling, Babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many, what? Words. See, Jesus is saying it's actually not about the words. It's, it's not about how you do it. He, he's saying to us, if you think I'm looking for certain words or for a certain formula, then you don't understand what prayer is all about. Now, some of us grew up in church, and because we grew up in church, some of us think that prayer has to be done in a certain way. You have to do it exactly right. You have to use certain words, or it doesn't work. And the reason you don't get what you ask for is that, you know, it must be because you're not doing it right. And you got to figure that out. And so some of us think, you know, you have to start praying by saying Heavenly Father. It's not even good enough to say Father. you got to say Heavenly Father. Father, that's the way you're supposed to start a prayer. And you have to end your prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't do that, it's not going to work either. You have to use the right words. Maybe, maybe some of you had this kind of experience. You know, you grew up in church, and 
there's always somebody in a church that just, they kind of pray these incredible prayers. And, you know, it's kind of like, even though they've lived their entire life in California, as soon as they, they start praying, they sound British. <laughs> you know, it's like, like they're in a, in a Shakespearean play. Lord, we beseech thee as woeful sinners, you know, Thou holy and anointed, hallowed, merciful, heavenly, gracious Father. And you hear that, and you're sitting over there with your eyes closed, and you're thinking, wow, that's incredible. My, my prayers are just crap. <laughs> and you get so discouraged. I mean, have you ever felt like that when you're like up next to, up against a champion blue ribbon prayer? See, Jesus, Jesus is saying, don't worry about the words. Just talk to God. Don't worry about what other people think. You know, if you stop and focus on these, these first few verses, Jesus is really saying to us, the pressure is off. Don't worry about praying right. Just pray. Because it's not about technique. It's not about performance. You say, so what is it about? Well, Verse 8 gives us the truth about prayer. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, if you do this in your Bible or in your notes, go ahead and underline that phrase, knows what you need before you ask him. Now, if your response to that is, well, then why am I praying? I mean, if he already knows what I need before I ask him, if that is your honest response, here's what I want to tell you. You are on the verge of an incredible breakthrough in prayer. If you're asking right now, well, if God already knows what I need before I ask, what am I going to say? Why should I bother? What's the point? You are on the brink of seeing that there is something about prayer that maybe you've never experienced before. You say, well, what is it? Well, here's the key word. I want you to notice, you can look down at your, your copy of, of, of the scriptures. I want you to notice all the times in this passage that Jesus uses the word Father. Your Father. Our Father. Over and over, Jesus loved to call God Father. He actually refers to God as Father over 60 times in the Gospels. Now, to be very clear, just to make it sure we understand this, he's not saying that God has gender. He's making a point, and the point is this. The kind of prayer God is looking for, it's not about performance. It's not about technique. It is about a relationship. Prayer is about relationship with your Father. Now, when you're done writing down relationship, I want you to look up here. I need to acknowledge that for some people, thinking of God as a Father is a huge problem. See, every time I talk about God as Father, somebody's going to stop me on the courtyard, somebody's going to write me an email, and they're going to say something like this. You know, Mike, whenever you talk about God as Father, I just have to tell you, I can't go there. And then they will tell me, you know, my dad was abusive. My dad abandoned our family. My dad, I mean, he worked a job and provided for us, but he was just emotionally absent. My, my dad was critical. I never know if it was going to be good dad or bad dad from day to day. He was discouraging all the time. My dad's impact on my family was just a net negative. Now, I want you to think of something. 
I want to suggest to you that you not gauge God by your father, but gauge your father by God. Does that make sense? See, God sets the example of what a father really is. And God, God provides what you long for, all of us deep inside, a daddy who loves you, a daddy who gives you wise advice, a daddy who's strong when you are weak and who will never leave you, who protects you. That's God. And Jesus is just telling us in this passage that the most important thing in your life is your personal relationship with God because everything else in life flows from this one thing. And that's why prayer is so important. It is about relationship. Now, for some of you, that might be too vague because you're kind of thinking, how do you have a relationship with, as Jesus says here, your father who is unseen? Uh, how do you have a relationship with an invisible God? I mean, how does that work? And Jesus, it's almost like he anticipates that question and says it's like this, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to think of the Lord's Prayer in this way. Here are three ways to develop your relationship with God. It is in this context that he gets into the Lord's Prayer. Now, again, these are some of the most familiar verses in the Bible. They are so beautiful. I love them. I know you love them, but I have to say here, this is not a formula. This is not a good luck charm. So important you understand that. Notice how Jesus begins. He says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. I want you to see he doesn't say this then is what you should pray. He's not giving us words that we are to recite again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and that's the whole point. He's giving us a pattern for prayer. He's giving us a model for prayer, a template for prayer, a reminder of, of how we can pray most effectively so that we have this relationship with God. Now, inside this prayer, what I want you to see is he talks about three main aspects of praying. And I'm going to give them to you with three words that begin with the letter A. Hopefully, it'll help you to remember them and kind of keep this in mind. The first word is adore. Or you could think of it this way. I declare God's glory. Jesus starts this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what he is saying is this. Don't start with you. Start with the Father. I like how Tim Keller puts it in his book on prayer. He says, think about who God is until your heart is dazzled. I love that. Recognize who it is you're talking to because when you begin to understand who God is, do you see it? When you see who God is, it connects you to reality, to the way the universe is, the way the world is. And out of that, it orders your life. And out of that, it gives you true perspective. And out of that, you have greater peace and greater joy and greater purpose and meaning. Hallowed be your name, God. That means honored. I honor you. God, you are holy. You are awesome. Jesus is saying, start here. Because the more time you spend declaring, proclaiming, meditating on, inhaling the identity of God as your father, the more confidence you will have that he will always do what is best for you about all those urgent needs that you can't wait to tell him about. See, my guess is that a lot of your prayers tend to be like mine tend to be. 
And I often tend in my prayers to kind of just rush in and say something like, Heavenly Father, because Jesus said I got to start that way and I don't want to get things off on the wrong foot, you know, and then throw off a few praises to God and kind of blow through that really quickly. And then it's now, Father, here's all the stuff I need you to take care of. Here's all the stuff that's giving me headaches that I need you to sort out for me. And I, I kind of spend most of my time there. And Jesus is telling us it's fine for you to bring your request to me. But remember to start with, to ground your praying in, God, you are holy. God, you are great. God, you are beautiful. You are merciful. You are so much bigger and so much wiser than I am. Now, some of you, again, because you're in America and we're all about technique, are going, okay, I got it, Mike. I got it. You start with the door. How much time, Mike, do I spend on that? Five minutes? Is five minutes enough? Because I can start that tomorrow. And it's not about the time. Sometimes this period of adoring will be brief, and sometimes it'll be long. It can be different lengths of time. It's really about reorienting your heart. It's really about you pausing and thinking and realizing what it is you're about to do. That I have been invited into the presence of the most holy God, the God who created the universe by the word of his mouth. He just spoke, and he wants to talk to me. He wants me to talk to him. And I'm just coming into his presence, and I'm, I'm just looking at him like a, a child who just lives in the love of the Father and thinking about who he is, how wonderful he is. And Jesus is just saying, stay there. Stay there because that impacts everything about how you see your needs and your entire life. And that takes us next to the second part of praying, which is really probably the hardest part of praying. And let's use this word align. And this expresses this, I surrender my will. You align your will with God's will. Verse 10, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice again, your will be done takes precedence. It comes before, give us today. In other words, you're saying, before I get to asking God, I just want to know, God, I want you to know that whatever your answers are, it is, it is your will before my will, your kingdom before my kingdom. I'm surrendering all of me to all of you, God. Your agenda for my family becomes before my agenda for my family. Your agenda for my work comes before my agenda for my work. Your agenda for my time today, for the interruptions I'm going to face today. Your agenda for whatever ministry opportunities you open up to me today. That comes first. That all comes before me and my will, and what I want. And this part of praying is so very important because, and you need to remember this, sometimes a loving father has to say no to his kids. How many of you who are parents have ever at least once said no to your child? <laughs> See, sometimes dad has to say, no, you can't have that because it will electrocute you. 
I, I heard a dad tell uh, about a time he was camping with his family um, at Big Basin up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and they were there with another family, and there were several young kids there, and he said early one morning, their, their five-year-old uh, came to the, the door of their tent and kind of whispered. They, they heard this whispering, and it was like, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, 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 Dad. And he said he was just kind of waking up. It's like, what, what, what is it? What, what do you want? We just want one thing. One thing? What, what one thing you want? We just want one thing, Dad. And then you can go back to sleep. <laughs> what do you want? We want the matches. <laughs> well, that got dad up. He unzips the tin. He looks out and he says, I see that my five-year-old and this other boy have made this huge pile of what they were calling pine cone bombs. And they had... <laughs> stuck pine cone needles in the top as fuses, and he said their plan was to light them all and chuck them into the forest. Sometimes fathers have to say no. And you see, what this, this part of the prayer is saying is this. God, I recognize that I don't always know what is matches for me. God, I know how I want my prayer to be answered, but I believe that you know best how to answer my prayer. And friends, this is so very important. If you don't think it's important, you don't really understand, and you need to get more honest, because when we get honest, we will admit that a lot of times our prayer is more like this. And I got this from Andy Stanley, who has a great message on this. He says a lot of times we're praying, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. Who gives a rip about heaven? Give me this day all I can consume, all I want, all I can desire, and lead me not into temptation because I can find it all by myself. Amen. <laughs> you know, this is why in Celebrate Recovery, we talk about how recovery begins with admitting that we're not God and turning our wills over to God because we are powerless to stop our self-destructive tendencies. That has to come first because until you get to that point, you're still playing God. Now, one more thing about this amazing phrase, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is also reminding you about this big world in which we live, about this promise that the Bible gives us of God bringing his kingdom into this world, a kingdom of love and of beauty and of grace that will one day, one day be here in glorious fullness and that we today are the ambassadors of that guaranteed future kingdom. And that, that prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, that means we are to start living today as if heaven were already on earth. That means forgiving, that means loving, that means giving, that means serving. And so to pray your kingdom come means you are praying for world peace. It means you are praying against social injustice. It means you are praying against racial division. It means you are praying against violence. Your kingdom come, oh God, on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is just saying in this, you want to know how to pray? I'll tell you how to pray. You adore God. You declare 
God's greatness. And then the next logical thing, it has to follow. You can't help but do number two if you've really done number one. You align your will to the, that great, glorious God. You say, God, I surrender my will to your power, to your wisdom, to your will. And you're just kind of saying, God, before I get to the asking part, I know I have a truckload of worry here, and I'm going to ask you about it, but before I even get to that, I want to stop. I don't want to take time to adore you, and I want to take time to align myself with your will. Some of you are kind of thinking right now, I don't really know how to do this, how to adore, how to align, and I thought of something later this week, and it's kind of still in process, but we're going to, tonight, I'm going to have a devotion that's going to start a a whole week of devotions from the Lord's Prayer. It's going to be on our Facebook page tonight, and so you can use it tomorrow morning. We're going to get it out to you in several forms if you're not on Facebook. We're going to give you something that you can kind of begin to put into practice what we've heard today all through this next week. Every day, just praying through this pattern of the Lord's Prayer again where we're adoring God and aligning our will with God again. And then we'll get to this third thing, which is where we usually start, which is too often where we spend all of our time, and that is ask. Now, here's what asking is about. Asking is about I acknowledge my dependence. See, anytime you ask someone for something, that means you can't get it for yourself. And so Jesus begins here, give us today our daily bread. Some of you are going, finally, my favorite word, give. Because we tend to think prayer is about give me, help me, you know, make me feel better. Give me, help me, meet my needs. Jesus says, we pray, give us today our daily bread. And in that prayer, we're essentially saying, God, I can really live only one day at a time. And so today, uh, will you meet my needs? I acknowledge my dependence on you for provision, Heavenly Father. And then he says, pray and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This reminds us, you know, we, we tend to pray forgive me a lot, but sometimes we fail to pray, help me to forgive other people. And you can't really leave out this part. Jesus makes a very big deal about us forgiving the people that hurt us. In fact, right after this prayer, kind of like a footnote in verses 14 and 15, the very next thing Jesus says is if you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive you. This is not an empty threat. It's a promise, and it really ought to be chilling. You really ought to receive it for as what he means. What he's really saying is this, the surest tell that you are in fact not surrendered to God, not aligned with his will, is that you are harboring grudges, that you are stuck in bitterness and resentment. That means conversely, the surest way to know that I am in an alignment with God is if I am forgiving those who hurt me. Do you see, friends, if you're holding a grudge, it reveals something about the state of your heart. Here's what I want you to see. It is impossible to keep a grudge without some sense of self-righteousness. You cannot harbor bitterness against another person without in some way thinking, I am better than them. I didn't deserve what they, what they did. I deserve better than this. And that just shows that you are out of alignment with God and his will, like a car that's out of alignment. You need to be realigned again to God's will. You need to trust him you know, for the pardon of your sins and the, you to pardon others. And then verse 
13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, again, I am acknowledging my dependence. God, I can't fight sin on my own. I need you to protect me from my sin, from the sins of others. Protect me from the temptations that are around me, from the temptations that are within me. And every day, we need to acknowledge our dependence on God in this area because we are dependent on him. We are helpless against temptation and sin apart from him. You know, when you put all of this together, this is sort of what this prayer is saying. Father, heavenly Father, Father, make me the type of person who walks through each day awestruck and amazed by you. Assured, God, that you have a plan for this world, surrendered to your will, confident that you will provide for me this day, certain that I am forgiven, and so I am always forgiving others when I am hurt, and God, I am always turning to you whenever I am tempted, whenever I am threatened. Now, I just want to ask you, does anybody want to be that kind of a person? I mean, can you imagine what that kind of a person would look like, a person that humble, a person that confident, a person that much at peace. Jesus is saying, this is what a person who has a relationship with God looks like. They don't look like some uptight religious person who's judging everyone else, who thinks life is about keeping certain rules. And just think about this in context of our call to take the gospel to our friends and our neighbors. Who wouldn't want to hang around a person like that? Who wouldn't want to be influenced by a person like that? Do you see that this is is what you are asking to become when you are praying as Jesus calls you to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer? See, the big picture that Jesus is painting here is that prayer is about a relationship with your Father, and it is so much richer and so much more profound than your simple, limited idea of asking God to give you some stuff. You know, some of us, I know, some of us have given up on prayer. Some of you are hearing all this. Some of you kind of clicked off and just thought, I'm gonna endure this until he gets done talking up there. Eventually, he always does. Um, Because you don't think prayer works. You have asked God to do something. He didn't do what you wanted. He didn't provide for you the way you thought you needed. And so you're kind of saying in your mind, I tried that, it doesn't work. And Jesus is saying, please don't say I tried prayer and it doesn't work. Is it possible when you tried that maybe you missed something of what prayer is about, that it's about a personal relationship with God your Father, that asking is important, but there is so much more Jesus is just saying, don't be bitter because you asked God for something one time and he didn't come through for you. It didn't work out the way you thought it should. Maybe you've missed what prayer is really all about. So I want to tell you today, the only way to discover what prayer is really all about is to begin to learn. And it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not something magical. It's to begin to learn by entering in to praying the way Jesus teaches us to pray, to getting alone with God, to spending time focusing on him, adoring him, to allow him to align your will with his will, not like as a checklist doing these things, but as a relationship, and then out of that 
organic, growing, flowing relationship out of that, you are asking God about the needs in your life. Some of you might be thinking, you know, wait a minute. If Jesus taught us to pray like that, did Jesus pray like that? He actually did. Do you remember what he prayed the night uh, when he was betrayed in Gethsemane? You remember when he was in the garden there and it's the night before he's gonna die on the cross? You remember how he prayed, Father, please let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but your will, your will be done. And then the next day, hanging on the cross, do you remember what he prayed while he was there, Father? Oh, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus prayed to forgive the people who were hurting him. And Jesus prayed like this, and Jesus did these things that he did because he was paying for our sins on the cross. And so that today, because of what he's done, there is no obstacle between us and God. Today, we can walk right into that relationship with God, the relationship that God wants us to have with him in prayer. Jesus has made the way. He did it so that we can experience the reward, and here it is the reward of knowing and enjoying God just for his beauty, not just for his usefulness. I want us to take a couple of minutes right now to pray. And I want to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray um, on behalf of us as God's people gathered. And then when I finish, I'm going to ask you to look up here, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together and And then after that, we're going to together receive the Lord's Supper. So let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father, Father, it is so amazing that we get to say this to you, God. My Father, my loving Father, God, you are so astonishing. And we look around us at this world and see how creative and majestic and holy, how beautiful and great you are. And God, to think that you, the God of the universe, look at us with love and mercy. And it's, it's just amazing. And so, Father, we want to pray. Not our will, but your will be done in our lives. We surrender our will to you Father, please bring your kingdom to this world, this world of violence that needs your peace. Let us be agents of your peace. God, make make us confident that you will meet our daily needs, that you have forgiven all our sins, and out of that forgiveness, may we forgive others just as generously as you have lavished your grace on us. Lord, may each of us listen with the doors closed in our rooms to what you have to say to us. And when we're stressed by life, when we're stressed by the headlines, when we are overwhelmed with pain, may we remember to pray, oh God, as Jesus, your son, taught us to pray. Now look up here and let's Pray this together.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said.